0: This is the Multiracial Identity Podcast. I'm Robert Cox. Hello and welcome back to the Multiracial Identity Podcast. And Susan Graham from Project Race is joining me again to talk further about some of the stuff that we talked about in episode one. We uh, started off by getting into some of the history of the multiracial rights movement and the beginning of it and ended discussing Directive 15. Directive 15 is a directive that the government follows that basically laid out all of the accepted racial group in America. Essentially. And so Directive 15 was revised in 1997, but basically it lays out that white, African-American or black, Asian, Native Hawaiian or other Pacific Islander or American Indian or Alaska Native are the five racially recognized groups in America. And then there's also the ethnicity question, whether you're Hispanic or not Hispanic. And that's been the norm since 1997. Now, at the end of the last episode, we started discussing the implications and the fallout from multiracial not being on that list. And it runs through a lot of different parts in our society. And one of the main parts is the medical establishment and the medical health of multiracial people. And so I'm happy to welcome Susan Graham back for Episode 2 to discuss more about this very important, this vital issue for adults, children, all multiracial people, and the people who love us. And that is the health implications of not being on that list of Directive 15. So welcome back, Susan. And um, let's just get Thanks for joining me again. I I just wanted to just see you know what was the first time when you were exposed to the fact that there were real health ramifications of not being an officially recognized racial group. When was the um, first time? You
1: saw? Actually, that happened in uh, in around nineteen ninety five, and uh, Rod Carew was a famous baseball player, and he was on all the news, and it was his daughter Michelle his third daughter had a bone marrow disease and she needed a bone marrow donor because she was multiracial. Rod was Peruvian and his wife is um, Polish, I believe. So they were pleading for someone to come up with a matching bone marrow donor and it wasn't working. And Rod, found out about us and contacted us and we started looking and holding bone marrow donor drives. We had 17 donor drives that year. And what that means is that people will come up to, usually they set up a a desk, a table and um, a tent and people will come up there and if they're multiracial, I mean, it's good for everyone to do even if you're not multiracial, but it's imperative if you are multiracial, because of the uh, six markers that um, it's called human leukocyte antigens, H- mm-hmm. or HLA typing. And mm-hmm. those are what's used to mark the donors and mark their uh, cord blood.
0: And they so have to be pretty, pretty they exact. They have to, to, they have to be
1: pretty exact. Um, you have many HLA of these markers half are inherited from your mother and half from your father. So each brother and sister who shares the same parent as you has a 25% chance or one in four of being an HLA match. And after going to the brothers and sisters, then it's wide open to everyone. And we work with uh, a great organization and um, it's called Be The Match. And this is so important because we've had uh, Lives that we've saved, um, that yes. that we've used with uh, the cord blood people, and we've saved lives through this, and it's extremely important.
0: Well, and so to, to emphasize the, the the whole thing, I, I believe I read the story. With basically, Rod Cruz's child they had she had he had three daughters, and the two daughters would have been a match for each other, but neither were a match for her. Was that? That's correct. That's yeah. So having that resource outside of the family to go to was just obviously it would have been life saving. And, right. and is and will be in the future, especially as our population grows, you know, from thirty four million people to fifty million people maybe by twenty thirty and beyond, um, you can really see how absolutely vital that is because it has to be so specific. And we it's almost like finding the correct bliss. And you can't just use the wrong blood type, and it has to be even more specific for multiracial people because of those two or more different racial heritages, right. basically.
1: There are actually a minimum of six HLA markers that a person must have to be a match. So it's mm-hmm. it's like finding a needle in a haystack. It really yeah. is. It's, it's not easy. Wow. Every once in a while we'll hear that one of our Project Grace members has Become a match and is donating their bone marrow, so that's wow. that's, that's a good day story. when we can save a life.
0: But good. That's, that also goes from there too. That um, the issue of saving the cord blood when your child is born, and particularly this is important for interracial couples who may not think about these kind of things because often, not always, like we're not. Mono race, but often interracial couples are mono race, and they don't think about these kind of things because if you're a white or black person, you just don't. I mean, they're not things that come up in your life, but right. it is an important thing because it is about your family genetics, and so that's true whether you're multiracial or not, really. You know, but the complication comes into. Right. you discussed saving cord blood and I had heard about that and I know that it is something that is offered more in birth now as in as kind of a routine thing but could you talk a little bit more right. about doing that in interracial yeah. couples? Doing that way Yeah, you let me
1: something. explain that a little more. Absolutely. The um, umbilical cord that's cut with, with each baby that's born um, it's full of rich, it's rich with the cord blood that the individual baby as they grow up will will use. So it's their own cord blood. And right now what happens is that the cord is cut and then thrown away. The umbilical cord is thrown away. That can be saved and banked. And if the child grows up and ever needs it, it will be there for them to save their life. So it's really a no brainer to yeah. use the umbilical cord blood but there is fees to, for storage what a lot of people do is they donate the cord blood to the donor bank and then if it's ever needed hopefully it'll still be there you know if yeah. you donate and not you're not paying for storage somebody else is then you really have no control over it sure. but um it's a really Wonderful thing to do for the child. Um, I know a lot of grandparents who are donating the cord blood, keeping the cord blood saved to the to the child's life as a welcome to the world gift, hmm. which is probably the wow. best gift you can give.
0: Well, and that's good to emphasize that, particularly with multiracial people getting together or mono race people getting together, that that's extremely important to consider. So maybe another, always, but, and that's not necessarily something that is presented or would be presented to a, an interracial couple who's getting ready to have a multiracial child, but it should be by the, by their be. doctor, by their OBGYN, by their, as a matter of course. It should and, be, and I'm not sure why it's not, but it should be. It should be discussed well, with
1: and, every pregnant woman.
0: Well, and that's the, some of the fallout that we talk about of, of the multiracial identity not being recognized by the United States government, because what I was reading here in the, you know, the Journal of American Medical Association, and then they had a guideline for how to, they put out some guidelines on how to discuss the race, how to record it, how to collect that information, and it was a very recent uh, update to their their their, you know, statutes. And one thing that they do point out, I'll just say it right quick here, it says, race was self it, how to do, this is an example of how to to present this in in say in a in a research study and they talk about how you you could say well race was self it, it reported by the study participants and the racial categories white and black for example were defined by investigators based on the US office of management and budget's revisions to the standards of classification for federal data so i mean they they call out who they're they're getting the standard from. And that's the right. OMB. They, they say right. it, straight, it all goes straight back out. to the OMB. They, they say it straight out. And it's just interesting how we've always said and we said when we were making comments last year to the OMB that it goes from the top down. That this will go through the medical establishment. This will go through all these other groups because they take their cues from these from these people from this or this agency, and that's a perfect example of why. So, so when you say, well, why isn't the doctor impelled, or or why isn't it a part of his operating procedure when he's dealing with an, uh, an inter, a multiracial child at the very least, whether the couples are are mono race or not, doesn't matter. The child will be multiracial. Part of his treatment guidelines, part of his activities should be to address these kind of things. But he wouldn't be if, if they're not really seeing us. If the multiracial right. identity isn't seen as a multiracial identity, it's just a racial classification that we have to record. Kind right. Of
1: thing. And now, I'm I'm very happy to see that a lot of surveys now are including multiracial women who are pregnant. Oh, because the yes. child will be part multiracial and there was just a study that was done of the um women who experienced mistreatment during pregnancy and delivery and um uh, this was done by the CDC and they used uh black women hispanic women and multiracial women nice. so yes
0: they are well, you know they're they're using it time. but not all the time so well, and that's the thing that, that it, it, this talks about. And, and, and there has been controversy about whether it's important to record race, whether it's relevant. You have plenty of scientists who insist that it has no relevance whatsoever. You have others that have finally come back, like you were stating before in the last episode, come back and said, hey, wait a second. This is actually is important and this is how.
1: That's you know, Robert, it's, it's interesting. Um, I get so many pieces of paper you know, across my... Computer and email and updates, and CDC and uh, every media outlet that's out there, and physicians' organizations. And I took note last week, just in one week, the uh, headlines for some of these uh, that, that show that there is a need for racial statistics. One of them said, Researchers find Asian Americans to have significantly higher exposure to toxic forever chemicals. Another hmm. one said that faulty oxygen readings delayed care to Black and Hispanic COVID patients. Another one says men- menopause affects women of color and how that works. So Absolutely. it's so obvious that, um, yeah, there are similarities and we're 99.9% alike, but that, you know, 1% or more it's, it makes a big difference oh, and it really uh, does. in the 1990s uh, a woman named Dorothy Roberts came out with a book um, I'm not going to even say the name of the book because I don't want you to buy it, <laughs> <because> <laughs> <laughs> it No, but definitely
0: bring that up because it was significant
1: yeah uh, she her theory was that um, race has no place or ethnicity in healthcare. And it caused a big uproar. People were taking sides. And um, my personal feeling is that uh, unless we know for sure that it doesn't affect healthcare, we should be counting and counting multiracial people in studies and uh, for medical reasons. Yeah. So, um, this was a whole big deal with you know and she's often quoted because she says uh you know don't bother don't don't look at race and ethnicity at all, so well, you-
0: but, I mean, here I'm looking at the, this AMA journal, the Journal of American Medical Association. And, uh, and they're basically saying, well, it's just like this. they say here, a person's genetic or anti- ancestral heritage may convey certain health-related dispositions, like cystic fibrosis for people of northern European descent, which part of my, dis- my multiracial heritage is northern European specifically, and then also sickle cell. From sub-Saharan Africa, India, Saudi Arabia, and Mediterranean countries. So, I'm looking at both of those. What what is my risk for cystic fibrosis? What's what's the risk for one of my children for cystic fibrosis right. or for sickle cell? Or how do they work together? Or do they do they crash? Do they negate each other? Do they, nothing's ever been investigated about that, as far as we know and have ever been able to discern? Right. Because right. multiracial people. Don't exist as an entity that needs to be investigated, or at least we haven't in the past. Now it's gotten better, you know now that our population has exploded since 2000, but we were always here. We just weren't being counted. And so the health and impacts on our just my generation earlier genera- there's, no, there's no telling what it could be. Right. Considering the fact that nobody's really studied it, well, and it's also the one that I was going to point out <clears throat> when I was uh, doing recruiting, like like I say for biotech, and when I was on LinkedIn, I put out a uh, 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 update for Multiracial Heritage Week last or last year about the fact that no drug on the market today that we, especially that we generally use from ibuprofen to whatever, has ever been tested on a multiracial population. And so what I put in the LinkedIn uh, ad was that if you're a clinical, uh, what they call a clinical trials manager and any of these specific on the ground kind of people that get these people together, I tell them, you don't know how your drug will affect almost 34 million people in America because you you didn't test them and you you can't know for sure. That's almost true. Almost true, Robert.
1: Uh There's a drug called Bidil, B-I-D-I-L which uh, was found to help Blacks with congestive heart failure. And we don't know if Beidle saves lives or not, but eventually it was taken off the market. So uh, that's a big question,
0: Mark. It was just for African-Americans, targeted for African-Americans, but it was one of the few that tried to do that. Tried to do
1: that, yeah. Controversy,
0: you name it, and... Well, it's, taking
1: it off the market.
0: Well, it just doesn't make any sense considering they co- concentrate on genetics and ancestry to not factor in race because those are intertwined. So they almost contradict themselves when they say that because when I worry about the cystic fibrosis risk or the sickle cell risk, I'm worried about my ancestry and my genetic, but I also have to worry about both. Right. So, if no research has been done in how they interact, then yeah, that is a huge. It could be my my wife is Native American, Asian, and Scottish Irish. How's that interacting for her? Her health. We, we becomes, don't know. Or impacts, yeah. and and how these drugs and some of these, and also she's a redhead, and and they say with the redheaded gene they've found will impact. Uh, uh, and the, the, the amount of uh, anesthesia that's necessary to put somebody out for a surgery. Right, it they have certain things. Yeah, and it's genetics. So why wouldn't it be true for multiracial people? It's absolutely true. It just seems like an issue they don't want to address or don't. Right. They haven't had to, so why should we? Now, I know, and I'm going to follow up with the Journal of American Medicine, the Medical Association, but they did in their guidelines say... One thing that was kind of cool, they said the term multiracial, mixed race, which I want to talk to them about, and multi-ethnic are acceptable in reports and studies if the specific categories apply to these terms. So they did lay out multiracial in their guidelines. I'd love to see them drop mixed race, and I'm certainly going to follow up with them. But the fact that they are addressing this as a racial group, I guess, is progress. Huh? It's certainly progress from when you first started grappling. You know,
1: you've talked about the AMA, and I found something which I think is it's kind of an aside to all of this, but I think it's very interesting
0: Absolutely. that
1: um, the AMA has come out asking for um, adopters of race and healthcare to drop the, the term. Um, actually, all across the board in healthcare, to not use the word provider. In healthcare, and you know, we're talking about terminology you know, terminology with multiracial people, and this mm-hmm. is a term that they came out and said that it's uh, derogatory to use the term provider, they want doctors called doctors or physicians. <laughs>
0: okay, and you know,
1: yeah, so you talk about you know, wow. the importance of terminology. But they did come out and uh, say that, and also the uh, they're avoiding it. Uh, they've come out with the American College of Physicians, the American Academy of Family Physicians, and the Journal of oh. Graduate Medical Education, among others. And they <laughs> okay. say that uh, calling medical doctors providers does more than inflict moral injury. It reduces oh. morale, worth, purpose, and results in already overworked doctors so i so just in other words, that they don't like really that be interesting. addressed.
0: well they don't like to be addressed in the ways otherwise that are proper and appropriate for who right. they are wow what do you know what do you know? <laughs> <I> <laughs> know? Sure can't blame them on that can you huh yeah wow well when well, the fact that it's not afforded to others is the thing because I see that actually in other racial groups and, 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 and mono race groups that want to be. Well, it's important for African American. I'm part African American. And, and that was a big deal to use the term African American. And, and, and I, it, it was a relatively recent construct since the 90s and dropping black or also using black, but focusing on African American. And really, it's what is the government going to call you? Because we all call ourselves different things, but I wanted to say, well, we, we're working on what is the government going to call you, and it's not going to be mixed American. It's it's the government is races.
1: calling us two or more races. That's what the government or calls races. us, or Tomer, or, races.
0: or Tomer, what's it? Or uh, yeah. or, or moon. Mark one or more. Yeah. Well, no. How does that trickle down when, as it shows here, the the AMA is looking for to the uh, OMB for some for the guidelines to go off of and and one multiracial isn't even there but well, heaven forbid what if they use mixed american oh my then all the doctors are calling everybody mixed americans it's just right it, the terminology from the top is absolutely huge and it has not just physical but also mental and psychological impacts on multiracial people and the multiracial community at large there's just no two ways about it and some can be very extreme and many we don't know cuz it hasn't been researched
1: I think yeah. a lot of it has to do with the terminology between mi- multiracial and mixed-race and multi-ethnic and multi-ethnic mm-hmm. I've seen is becoming more and more popular I think multi-ethnic is a kind of throwaway category because people don't understand the difference between race and ethnicity.
0: That's what I was going to so, say. There's still a thing about what's, a re- what's ethnicity, what's race. It's, it's muddled. And I, sometimes it, the way the, the census even puts it forward, they're not really clear on it, it seems that's like. That's
1: right. When you figure that you know, ethnicity by itself takes into account culture, language. Even food that we eat um, all across the board, you know, background, uh, your grandparents. It's a very broad category for ethnicity, or else on the census they use ethnicity to describe Hispanic. Or not. So it's 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 one very or one or the other. Yeah. So it's all very confusing, and they haven't done anything to ease the confusion.
0: No, they haven't. And since the medical establishment clearly takes their cues from them, here here we stand with un, untold amounts of multiracial people not receiving the medical care that they should be receiving. And that's right. true for a lot of people of color. Obviously, this is something that needs to be addressed across the board. But since we're not on the list of official races, then will we be included when they're talking about addressing the situation for the people of color on the Directive 15 list?
1: Well, I, I think it's up to each and every one of us to do what we can. And I know when I go in to see a doctor and I'm given a form and it asks for my race, like multiracial isn't on there, I make a, a big deal. Yeah. And I'll go to the uh, management and say, look, you know, multiracial isn't on here. It should be. And I want to see something done about it. And in one, most one cases, in most cases, they'll, they'll say, of, of course, we'll add multiracial.
0: And they'll do it, too.
1: They'll do it. But yeah. the multiracial yeah. community has to come out. We have to come out and talk one-on-one to our providers
0: Oops, or our doctors.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: come on now. Let's not be derogatory towards right, the physicians. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah. Well, well, you know, and that's the thing, like you were saying, too, about you can do what you can locally and you can do what you can and and everything you can do at, at all times. And then there has to be a national move. There has to be a word from the top that it trickles down that everybody gets. And so that's right. why you've been grappling with the OMB for all these years—to go to the source, to go to to where the medical establishment looks towards, where the uh, Department of Education will look towards, where everybody that that we deal with in an official realm will look towards—and that's the Office of Management and Budget and Directive 15, without that's a doubt. That's correct. And and it with and it's killing people. It's killing us. Not it enough. is. There's just it no two ways about it. Yeah, I agree. Well, the one thing I was going to mention, too, was that I did find because, you know, we talk about the physical aspects of of not being in that list of officially recognized racial designations and and racial groups. But there's also the psychological aspects of it and the, the psychological aspects of of not being recognized for who you are or being treated as other or being treated as an also or a fringe or and it's interesting that the national institutes of health have done some investigation into it and and have actually tried to look into the implications of all of this for multiracial children and when one thing that they do discuss in one of these reports and i i'm going to put a lot of this stuff that that i may cite On the information with the podcast. So, if they wanted to go and look at some other articles, and if you had some articles that you'd like for me to post as well, then that could be further reading for people who might be interested. But one of the things that the National Institute of Health does cite are the, the biracial identity development models, some of which are flawed, some of which are right on, some, but there's more than one, which is great to hear. And all of them basically say that if you're dealing with a multiracial or a biracial person, child, like you're dealing with other people of color, it's discrimination and you're doing them wrong and harm. And that's something that hasn't been laid out you know, very clearly right. that we're, it's not like we need special, special treatment. and Oh, my God, kid gloves and such and such. But as you as you look at the uh, African-American uh, uh, identity development model, we have to look at the bi- biracial and multiracial identity development models and recognize that the, they deal with different things. These kids and we dealt with different things as children being multiracial. And, and being treated as other and being discriminated against by maybe both of the races from which you come, which I dealt with, and what was it like to right. get racism from the white community and the African-American community. That's something that a mono race person doesn't have to deal with. And, that's and that's so very true. And, and, and it has an effect on people. And so if, if, if the multiracial community is alienated and isolated in a lot of ways and cut off from each other, it starts when we're kids. It starts way, way back because of the fact that multiracial isn't looked at in the same regard as a racial group as other young children coming up like an African-American child who has all these things to grapple with and deal with as an African-American child. And that's respected and dealt with as much as possible, and called out. I guess what I'm saying is that it's it's important to bring forward, especially for interracial couples, that biracial and multiracial kids are dealing with some stuff, boy, and there may be some stuff that you haven't had to deal with as a mono race person, and it can lead to. Feeling th- th- all these feelings of alienation, of being left out of society, of being other, of being isolated and cut off, and thus we have kind of an isolated multiracial.
1: Uh, every so often, somebody does a study on multiracial kids and comes out with you know um, either how horribly they've been treated or bullied or you know something that takes into account the psychological difference in being multiracial. And then mm-hmm. it's usually talked about for, oh, about a month or six weeks or so, and then it's dropped.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and then and it moves
0: on. And, then and, and it moves but, on. but how bad is it really? We had a multiracial president, right? You know right. what I mean? It's often sometimes it's like, well, you, and you'll hear it from, from monorace uh, minority or uh, uh, people of color that multiracial people don't actually get as bad a racism. You know, it, it it that that we 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 get by or we pass or we and there's all these different terms that somehow we don't have it as bad as others and we don't have we have it easy and and there are perceptions, particularly in the, in the communities of color, that that is the case, and right. and that can that's damaging as well because it also cuts that multiracial person off from that part of their heritage. When there's this uh, assuming that somehow you just don't have it as bad as we do, are, do, so you're just not. And these all obviously have can have very real psychological impacts that you can live with for the rest of your life and just and never really address and just deal with being other and mark other on the survey and, and that comes your way and mark other and some other race and here and there and just live that way. But what are the psychological right. impacts of that? There's It's it's not right. It's well, how do you, you know, bottom
1: line, the bottom line is that more study needs to be done.
0: Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. And then and then when you're dealing with the children, take into account that there are multiracial and biracial identity development models that are trying that were set up over the last 30 and 40 years, trying to help children with multiracial heritages just get through and acclimate and and grow up adjusted and well-adjusted. And so as long as it's called out that that's something that needs to be, well, that's part of the information we need to spread in this community. I'm always surprised,
1: I'm amazed and surprised at the number of families who don't talk about race and ethnicity and who don't talk about being multiracial and what it means to kids. They act like it doesn't exist in their families, and I'm always shocked by the number of families that that uh, accounts
0: for. Well, you know, and that is funny because you you hear that with uh, Colin Kaepernick, who was adopted into a white family, but he's a multiracial. And he talked about how it was never discussed in his family, and that's a pretty glaring situation. I mean, if you're going to adopt or have multiracial children, clearly this is something that you need to get into. It's it's a lot easier, obviously, when you're raising a child that's the same race as you are. Well, you're a lot of it will come just from your cues, come from subconscious things, come from life. But when, well, when it's different, it's not often recognized that it needs to be recognized and discussed and talked about normally because Right. This is part of our lives, having a multiple race situation that you deal with. If it's your grandparents, your aunts, your uncles, it, this is part of a multiracial person's every day if they're living in up, an integrated upbringing, if they're lucky enough to know both sides of their or all sides of their multiracial family. It's something that right. they're dealing with every day. And, and well, it's just like with Clarissa, my sister. She had trouble adjusting to the fact that she didn't look like our mom. And our mom, she's very beautiful. She was a, a model when and when she was young, and 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 it was an adjustment. And my mom went out of her way to help her recognize that she was beautiful, and and that she did have aspects of my mom's looks and her her dad's, and that's beautiful too, and it's okay. Mm-hmm. But that's something that monoracial mon- people, monoracial people don't have to deal with, and may and it made. Hit them and say, "Oh well, I didn't see that coming because it's not within my frame of reference."
1: Right. So, right.
0: It just it like you said, there needs to be more study and bring out the fact that there's a psych, there's a very real and big psychological aspect to this whole thing too. As long as it's talked about, it can be dealt with. It's not the tragic mulatto story. By right as they like to harp on, like you say, when it comes out, you know, and then suddenly this tragic mulatto never fit in anywhere and, and oh my, how did they ever live? Right. And drop that too. That needs to fall by the ancient wayside (laughs) for sure. Yeah. Because it's not like that anymore by a long shot, but we do have a lot more work to do. So. Right. Well, yes, ma'am.
1: I'd really like to say too, again, that uh, it's up to each individual. If you're multiracial and you come up on a forum that doesn't have multiracial, it's up to you to speak up and join the movement to get this done. It's not going to get done with everyone being silent about it. So come you and join us. A
0: community and act, right. for, and act in, for that community. And, and it's, it, we all know what we need to do. I mean, we're faced with it all the time. We've been faced with it since that first day we got, went into school. Like you in Fulton County, when you're trying to put your kid in there, these are common experiences, but we don't know how to act in them. And now right. it's time to start talking about how to act in those and act as a community when we do. So that's right. great. And, yeah, just call, call out your provider, your doctor, and you could even say, hey, you don't like being called a provider, do you? Well, I don't like being called mixed race. You know what I mean? Right. It's in your face. Exactly. Kind of like, this is true. It's very true. This is so deal with me as who I am, and I'll deal with you as you are. Fair's fair, without right. a doubt. And well, it's, not so. just the, it's not just the medical in, uh, uh, establishment either. This obviously spreads out to a lot of officialdom that we deal with. But we wanted to talk about this in the second episode because the, the medical and psychological implications are so real and extreme and also unresearched. So we don't even really know right. how, how much. So this, this is a great subject for the second episode to talk about the implications of all this.
1: And I want to remind people also that you can go to projectrace.com and get more information. We keep up to date with race and health and everything that's going on in, in the racial world. So um, go to projectrace.com. Become a member. Uh, we don't charge for membership. It's free and um absolutely Can't I'm do a do member that.
0: proud member absolutely all of this information and more can be found at ProjectRace.com and and also how to follow up with uh plus there's really interesting things like the famous Friday thing that you guys do on there is really cool talking about mm-hmm. celebrities and people in in the, in the public domain that are are multiracial that you may not have known that's a great little one you know, and then and then there's so much information about what's important if you're raising a multiracial child if you're multiracial yourself doesn't matter right. it's it's really really an important resource and then so we're going to talk about that so it's uh, be the match.org it's be, uh, the, be match. the
1: match i think it's dot org
0: Okay, I'm all for paying it forward. Right. And that's what we need to do as a community, as we build this community and recognize that we're all in this together and that we actually really need each other. And particularly and particularly in this issue.
1: I wanted to say that uh, our teen project race group, they're fabulous. They do a lot. And they told me now that they want to get on TikTok. So Project Race on TikTok. So it, it's, it's coming. They're working on it. But I wanted awesome.
0: to shout that out. So No, oh, that is a great shout out. And, and that's definitely something we'll follow up about, too. And then in each episode, we'll mention, we'll be sure and mention, if I forget, the Project Race information, TikTok, Instagram. And that's where we're going to form our community. That's where the community comes together is on social media now. And so hit any one of those resources, follow up with information, email us and just get involved with the multiracial community. It's life and death, and it's also Mm -hmm. so important for us as we go forward in the future. Yes. So, um, well, you know, we got episode three coming up, and uh, I honestly am not clear on which one.
1: I think we're going to talk about uh, the people who have been pro what we're doing and the people who have been against what Uh, we've been doing. That should be very interesting.
0: And that's why I did want to talk to you because there's a lot of public figures that you've dealt with over the last 30 years. And there's going to be a lot of names that people recognize that are, wow, that's surprising, shocking, and, and disillusioning. <laughs> we'll put it that way. That's right. messed up. <laughs> and so I thought, yeah, we were talking about it. And we think the third episode would be great to see, well, who's been our allies in this and who haven't as, as you fought? to get multiracial added to the Directive 15 list. There's right. been a very on-the-ground kind of war going. It's a bureaucratic war going. A lot of these agencies, the NAACP, the ACLU, you've had to deal with all of them. And we're going to get into that in the next episode.
1: Sounds, sounds great.
0: Good. Well, okay. fantastic. It was great talking to you. And I'm looking forward to you joining me again next time for Episode 3. And... um Thank you, Susan.
1: Great. Thank you, Robert.